Welcome to the On Point Podcast, a channel dedicated to helping you be the best hunter you can be. On Point is designed to help motivate and inspire you to get more out of yourself and your gear during your next hunt. If you're looking for information that will directly impact your success and help inspire you to go on new adventures, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle, On Point is the channel for you. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I get to sit down with Chris Dunlap from Elk River Archery and talk about arrow building. And uh, this is a really popular topic and a very common question that I get is arrow selection, arrow building, broadhead selection, and how to put basically put all that stuff together to go out and kill uh, you know, an animal ethically know that you're going to have enough oomph when that arrow gets there. So uh, this is a great podcast for the guys that are just getting into the arrow building. And also a great podcast for the guys that are already knee-deep in the weeds and want to learn more. So we pretty much cover it all. As much as a guy could in an hour and 40 minutes, Chris delivers some really great knowledge, some really great insight, and all the questions that I asked. And, uh, you know, we go into the weeds, but I really I want to make it clear. I wanted to go into the weeds on this one. That's what this podcast episode was about. I wanted to have a very detailed uh, podcast just on arrow building. So I know I've been going over the bows a lot lately. Uh, I will definitely be coming out with some rifle and bullet stuff here shortly. But um, this is probably one of the best podcasts on arrow building that I personally heard. And I, I know I'm probably a little bit biased, but there's a lot of really good information in here, guys. And, and you probably have to listen to it a couple times to actually digest all the information. But if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me at uh, GarrettWeaverHunts at gmail.com. Or you can get a hold of Chris uh, on his Instagram. You can search him by searching for Chris Dunlap or uh, elk underscore river underscore archery. He'll pull up probably that way as well. He's very reachable, very personable guy, always down to answer questions and help somebody out. So uh, thanks, Chris. And I'm also joined by Royce Chambers, who helps co-host this one. His microphone, uh, he was using a handheld one, so he probably might not be able to hear, hear him very well. But he was definitely there and uh, asked a few good questions along the way as well. So it made for a great podcast episode. And uh, one more thing, if you haven't yet, leave a five-star review with a comment because I have um, a couple giveaways coming up this week that um, if you're a coffee drinker, you're definitely going to want to be a part of it. Or if you just want to uh, learn a little bit more about a, a food company for backcountry hunting and stuff, um, I have some stuff for you there as well. So hint, hint, be sure to leave a five-star review with a comment because if you don't leave that comment with that review, um, you won't get entered because it won't show me who it did, who did it. So even though you had great intentions, you got to leave that comment as well, even if it's just the word hello. <laughs> you know, just leave leave that comment, get yourself entered. But um, thanks for thanks for everybody who's listened to the podcast so far, enjoyed the journey. I've got a lot of positive feedback. I'm always down to hear what you think, uh, what you know, what you're interested in, and I will try my best to deliver upon that content. So enjoy this episode, guys. I had a great time uh, recording it, and I will see you at the end of the episode. Bye. All right, well, let's get this thing rolling then. So cool. I'm here with Chris Dunlap from yep. Elk River Archery. Yep. And where are you based out of? Almsville, Oregon. Almsville, Oregon. And then I have Royce Chambers again on this podcast yes, as well. I'm back. And uh, we're talking arrow building. And this is a podcast that I've really been looking forward to because I, I consider myself a little bit of a geek in this arrow building 
and let's just say I'm, I'm right here, and then you got Chris, who's probably <laughs> leaps and bounds over that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning a lot from you today, man. So well, Hopefully. I, I still have a lot to learn. So I know that too, but I learn every day. I read as much as I can. Um, you know, one of the things I always try to do is I, I always – I know I can learn something from everybody, yeah. so I try and watch what everybody does, look at what they do, and then try and pick out what I think is the best of that and maybe apply it to other – other things that I'm already doing and how can this make what I'm doing better? Right. Cause I, I'm almost never satisfied. It's like, well, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. How do I make it just that much better? Right. And a lot of times it's probably, if, you know, I spend way more time trying to make it that, you know, 10th better than, mm-hmm. <laughs> than it was before. But you know, and it's, it uh-huh. might not be worth the time, but it's fun too. That's it's, I geek out on this stuff. Big it's time. fun. And really it's only going to benefit you in the long run, because if you're constantly pushing that bar, you're going to figure out what gets that better, better, better penetration or shoots better elevation or, or, or shoots this broadhead better. And, and like you, like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. You yeah. Know? Like, like I am so thirsty for knowledge. I'm a sponge. And so when I get around guys that definitely know more than me i am asking questions so it's going to be a good podcast i've i've actually talked to a few people that have come by the booth and the the main topic was arrow building and people just don't know what they don't know honestly like they just they just get something cut from the from the shop they shove the insert in there maybe they have the shop shove the insert in there they square their arrow maybe and maybe. then maybe. they're good, maybe. <laughs> and I'm talking. I was talking to a guy uh, last night, really cool guy, uh, about chopping both ends of the arrow off. If you're chopping, you know, three, four inches off your arrow, take some off of both ends. And you were telling me that you do that earlier, but you do it a little bit different than I do. Yeah. So what's your process for? We'll start with uh, buying the arrow. So it depends on how deep in a rabbit hole you want to go, right? Deep. So <laughs> you know. Um, if you really want to get deep in the rabbit hole, like if you're going to go full on and, and you want to geek out, even before you buy a bunch of arrows, mm-hmm. you need to buy a couple of a few different brands because every bow is going to like a different arrow differently. And, and it's going to like this arrow better than it likes that arrow. So like this year for me, um, I bought, uh, I have some X impacts that I was trying mm-hmm. Uh, I bought the Axis arrows. Mm-hmm. I bought some of the uh, uh, Grizzly Stick Momentums, mm-hmm. um, and I tried a couple different spines of each one of those. Uh, like in the Grizzly Stick specifically, I tried. I think they have a 240 spine and a 170 spine, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I tuned my bow as best as I could. Um, and I say it that way because you can't really tune your bow until you know what arrow, and you're tuning it to that arrow. Right. Uh, so anyway, but the point to that is, is I bought these different arrows and I shot them all and I tried to figure out what my bow likes. What arrow does my bow like? Surprisingly, the 240 Grizzly stick wouldn't spine. It, the reaction out of my bow, it didn't like it. Uh, the X impacts were, were okay. Um, and, and they shot well. I didn't go with those cause I couldn't get to the weight I wanted to. Okay. Um, cause there's a lot of factors that play in. I had a specific weight range I wanted to get to. What was that weight range? Uh, you know, I really wanted to be in the upper 500s, close to 600. Uh, I didn't want to get over six just because, so I have a total mass weight I like and a speed I like to stay at. Me too. I am not a speed freak where I don't need to shoot a 310 feet per second arrow. Um, anything I'm going to say my range is 280 to 300. 
ultimately, I really want to be in the 290, like okay. 290 right in there. Yeah. Um, so for my particular bow and setup, I can shoot my 585 grain arrows where I settled mm-hmm. at 287 is what I'm really <laughs> consistent that's at. That's what I'm shooting my 447s at. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps. And let, yeah, let well. everybody, everybody that's listening to this is going to go, how in the heck is he doing that? Okay. Guys, I got a 31-inch draw, <laughs> and I'm shooting an 80-pound bow. I hate you right now. So <laughs> I have a 28-inch draw. <laughs> Talked about oh, that man. We need, to, need to start hanging weights from our arms. <laughs> so what I try to tell people all the time, though, is, is find the heaviest arrow you can shoot in that range. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm making a suggestion to somebody, it's what can you shoot in that, in that uh, speed? Mm-hmm. What I found over years of testing and, and kind of give background is when I started doing this, it was just my own curiosity. I am, I'm not an engineer, but I kind of have that mentality to stuff. I want to know how and why things work. Uh-huh. How do I make it better? So I started testing broadheads and when I was testing broadheads, I was getting a lot of arrow failures. So then it was like, well, how do I start testing arrows and how do I build arrows and change it? So the arrow's tougher, uh, just all sorts of stuff. Like I said, this is a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole if we really yeah. get into it. This, but. That's what this podcast is about. It's <laughs> for the guys that are geeky like us. So, um, you know, so I just started doing a bunch of testing on my own. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the archery shop is relatively new. Uh, and I'll get into why I did that in a second. But I just started testing everything on my own and just tried to figure out what I could. And that's where I've ended up where I'm at. I the There's a lot of guys. We'll talk about FOC a little later. Yeah. Um, that are really into ah 25 30% FOC Dr. Ashby's yeah yeah and we'll talk <laughs> about Ashby too <laughs> but uh cuz I think it's funny I'll, I'll mention something about Ashby Ashby I the testing that guy did is way above and beyond what anybody else has done but I see people argue online well he's a he's a he's a doctor he's got an the guy's an eye doctor <laughs> so everybody's Dr. Ashby and it's like that title gives yeah. him more credibility yeah right and I, I, what gives him credibility to me is the amount of testing he did. I don't care about his title. Right. He's not like he's a, a physician that can, uh, can tell you what the different wound channels and all the damage does. Again, I mean, so not to play down what he does, but you know, it's it's not. It's, I hear guys all the time. Well, he's a he's a he's got his doctorate in engineering. No, he's. Yeah. So anyhow, that was just no, kind of the funny. And, and I love his testing too, but I also think it's really steered people into a far extreme. It has where, you know, if you don't have a twenty-five percent, you're unethical. It's like, man, no, I'm not. <laughs> See, and I think there's a really good balance. Mass arrow weight, I think, plays a much bigger factor mm. into penetration than if you had a light arrow with a really, really heavy FOC. Okay. So if you take a, just as an example, throw it out. If you take a 420 grain arrow, but you're at 25% FOC mm-hmm. or even 30% FOC. And I've seen guys build arrows like that. Yeah. I've got uh, a test coming up like that. So, and then you take a 550 grain arrow that's mm-hmm. only 15% FOC. Mm-hmm. I could almost guarantee, because I've done it myself, yeah. that you're going to see more penetration Right. Out of that heavier arrow than you will out of the high FOC. No doubt. I totally, you know, even if the speeds aren't the same, that mass weight total. Where FOC does play a big part to me um, is it's pulling the arrow through the air. Once that mass is in weight, physics, right? Things in motion want to stay in motion unless reacted on Mm -hmm. by an outside force. 
Well, when you put that weight up front, it's pulling everything through. When you have the weight towards the back, the whole thing is moving. And so when an arrow flexes, let's say you hit something hard, an arrow is going to flex. Well, if you have the weight in the back, it's just more flex, loss of energy. Right. When you have the weight up front, the arrow flexing doesn't do, doesn't, doesn't, or doesn't make you lose that much or the same amount of energy. Right. Right. So it's pulling it through. I, uh, I happened to be at an archery shop, uh, last year. And at that point I was shooting a 400 and what was it about 490, 490 grain arrow at 295. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had a brand new release coming down on target, let it go, went through the wall. <laughs> Arrows sticking in the wall by the fletches. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't think anything of it, and the shop got their phone rang. There's an automotive shop right behind him. Oh, shoot. And the guy's like, hey, your arrow went through the wall. So the guy in the shop said, hey, I'll go get it. And I can hear him over there pounding on my arrow, and I huh. think, oh, my arrow's going to be dead. You know, and I go, I go get my arrow and pull it out, and there's no outsert on it anymore. These were X-Impacts, so they have an outsert on them. Mm. And uh, I'm like, well, that sucks, you know. It must have broke off or something. And the guy comes running back, and he throws me my outsert, my field point. Uh -huh. And I'm like, what the heck? And he goes, so your arrow stopped at the fletches, and that field point in the outsert came off your arrow and flew all the way across the auto shop and hit the other wall. <laughs> so what's that tell you about FOC, that arrow, or having more weight up front? That arrow weighed uh, 485 and was like 17.5 or 18% FOC. Okay. But that weight that was in motion up front kept carrying, kept going. Yeah. So it's the same thing that's going to happen when you hit something like a bone in an animal. If you can breach the bone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where people don't breach the bone is when that arrow flexes and they start losing all that energy that right. they put into there. So, well, I want to take you down a path there then, because when I I was talking um, about a blue wildebeest I shot and the, and the kudu had a little bit of deflection. And then I was I was really trying to figure out well was it the broadhead was it the arrow and and with a I'm shooting about a 10% FOC 125 grain head up front and I'm thinking well you know I'm probably getting a lot of flex and that arrow went through both lungs and then took a turn which told me that it wasn't deflection it was the back of the arrow flexing and then probably hitting the rib and then turning that arrow sideways do you think that and it, and it very well could be there's so many factors so I'll give yeah. you another quick story. This podcast could take a while, man. It's fine. <laughs> um, another quick story, something that really got me going down this road was uh, hunting up here in the Cascades. Uh -huh. Had a six-by-six six bull come in, broadside. My buddy's down below me calling, so the bull's just walking past me. He actually stops perfect. I didn't even have to stop him. I was already at full draw, but the bull stopped. Mm -hmm. And I shot, and my shot looked low. And I was like, crap. I didn't know where the arrow went. The bull ran out, and luckily for me, he stopped at 40 yards. Now, I didn't range it. I just guessed 40 because I put my 40-yard pin on him, but I was already knocking another arrow. He stopped, hard quartering away. I draw back. I let it go. Arrow is perfect. It's fletch deep mm -hmm. right at what looks like the perfect angle, and I'm thinking, dead bull. Mm -hmm. First shot was, a, was crap. Didn't get anything. Probably brisket. Second shot was money. Dead bull. I watch him run out. Then I lose sight of him. And so I just kind of sit down, try and relax. You know, adrenaline's just right. crazy. I look at my buddy. My buddy starts jumping up and down. Well, the bull had just ran over the hill where I couldn't see. My buddy still couldn't. Tipped over backwards. Oh, down. really? So <laughs> we go up to the bull, and I notice my arrow's at a different angle than it was. And it looks kind of funny. And I'm like, oh, what's up with that? So I grab the fletches, and I'm pulling on it. And I can see all the skin on that same side moving. 
Uh. And I'm like, what the hell? So come to find out, I had hit the last rib. And at that angle on that rib, that arrow had actually deflected and gone right up the side of him and into his shoulders, same side shoulder. Oh, wow. Didn't even enter the cavity. So part of that goes into the deflection thing. Like yeah. a rib can deflect an arrow. Uh, your broadhead build, especially really uh, short, steep angled broadheads, mm -hmm. they are a lot more prone to deflections than, say, a longer, more pointed type broadhead. So let's take a Valkyrie broadhead, for instance. That broadhead, if you've seen those. It's like a three to one, isn't it? Uh, it might even be more than that. Really? It's it's really long. When yeah. we say three to one, that's the uh, that's the angle. It's the ratio of, yeah. of length to, to the angle. Yeah. You want a longer broadhead than what than how steep it is, right? right. So it's it's your your cutting diameter, right? So you want your broadhead to be longer than your cutting yeah. diameter. And this is a cut on contact. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really popular head. So, so the Valkyries, they're really long. Anyhow, um, so you know. But part of that, too, is I hear guys all the time, I made a perfect shot. It was perfect. I could see it. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But if you take out both lungs, the animal's dead, and it's not going to be, you know, a mile away. If you take out his heart, it's not. If it's a perfect broadside shot and you blew through it, that animal's dead, and it's not going to be that right. far. Something happened on your shot. A deflection happened that you couldn't tell. You know, uh, who knows? Uh, I had a bull in my Mount Emily tag. My bull in Mount Emily. You drew a Mount Emily tag. I did. Yeah. I oh. did. I had 14 points, drew a Mount Emily tag oh, okay. in 2014. So that's a legit draw then. I know a guy <laughs> that drew one and a half first year. Really? Yeah. There's I a guy that drew it twice in six years. Well, the, so the guy I hunted Mount Emily with, or who helped me out some in Mount Emily, he drew it the year that before I had it. Oh, really? And then <laughs> on points. <laughs> and then drew it the year I had it random. <laughs> so anyway, but my Mount Emily tag, I, same thing. I would have told you guys that perfect shot. Bull comes in broadside, 30 yeah. yards. I hammer him. My arrow's out the backside. Um, blood all over it. Good blood. Perfect. Give the bull a little time. Go up and find some blood. A little more blood. A little more blood. Then no blood. Mm -hmm. What the hell? So we grid search forever. I call in a buddy of mine uh, and his wife. It's actually Calvin Halliday and his wife, Shelby. I call them up, and I'm like, hey, can you guys come help? They dropped their hunt to come help me, actually. Hmm. And we searched and searched and searched and searched and searched, and I was ready to give up. I'm like, dude, I'm done. This is this bull. Obviously, I didn't hit where I thought I hit, um, and no shot had ever felt more perfect to me. I mean, hmm. I took so much time on that arrow, and Cal's like, no, we're not done, you know? And I, I appreciate him for that because we're really that drive. So we made one more pass where we fanned out. We did this big circle. And Craig, who was with us, happened to walk right into my bull. Oh, really? The hole was about four inches right behind the shoulder. Just, to me, looked like a money shot perfect. Mm -hmm. But because of the way the bull was standing, he was quartering a little more than I thought. Mm -hmm. And that front leg was back that I couldn't see in the brush. I ended up livering that bull is all I got. Really? But when you look at the hole, I could show you a picture. When you look at that hole, you'd have said all day, that's a perfect money shot. You know, and so he didn't bleed because out the other side, it was a little bit of an uphill shot at him too. So the hole was a little higher. And on the, the side that was closest to me, uh, the skin had actually gone over the wound. So as soon as he moved that front leg yes. forward, so I only had one hole in the bowl. So, it, you know, there's things that can happen. But anyhow, <laughs> we've gotten way off. I hear, you know, I hear about that happen all the time. The bull's stretched out. 
and the hole gets covered up when he goes to back to a relaxed position. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's the broadhead's fault. I'm like, no, man. I mean, there's no. it's so scenario dependent. Like, the most common question I got, and yeah, we're off in a rabbit hole here, but that's that's this podcast. Yeah, is uh, is my most common question when I shot that blue uh, with that with the kudu because everyone everybody wants to know with the kudus because there's good and bad reviews on them with blood trails. How was your blood trail? I'm like. Well, he went down in sight, so I don't really know because I just walked right to him. But we did backtrack a little bit, and there was drips of blood here and there, not a ton. But I shot him through one lung, and then there was blood pouring out of that one hole. And then it came out in the guts because I think the back of the arrow did hit a rib. And I'm like, that's not the broadhead's fault, man. I mean, that's really not. So I had one good hole. Yeah. How do, how do I, am I going to tell you that, no, the broadhead, yeah, it, it died within 80 yards. It's a very tough animal. And so it's so scenario dependent. You just can't broad stroke one scenario and say it's a crap arrow, crap broadhead, bad shot, good shot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's I, I crack up at guys too. And again, this I might be the most unpopular guy after this because I'm, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> telling people that all, what they thought all these years is not really correct. But I laugh all the time when guys go. Oh, you know, look at the hole that this broadhead made. And this one's bigger than that one. I'm sorry, guys, if it's an inch and an eighth cut. And if all things are equal, now keep that in mind, all things have to be equal, it's going to create an inch and an eighth hole. That's it. The only way the holes are bigger is skin bunching up, an angle slice, mm -hmm. something else, right? But if you have, if you took a piece of leather at home or anything and you stretched it out to the same, uh, if they were all the same, right? Mm -hmm. And you just started poking broadheads through each one of those. The cut's only going to be what the size of the broadhead is, or maybe right. slightly larger, because the skin is going to move a little bit. Right, right. But you can't claim that this inch and an eighth broadhead puts a much bigger hole than this inch and an eighth broadhead. Right. How do you really know that? How do you really truly test that? You know, because your animal you just killed is completely subject to the circumstances at the time you shot it. Right. What was the skin doing? What was the angle of the shot? What was this? What was that? The only broadhead that that I know of that I can honestly say I think creates a bigger hole than what it what its cutting diameter is consistently is going to be the anarchies which are out of business. Why? Right. It has a flat tip. Huh. And so in every test I've done, that flat tip pushes the skin more than think about mm -hmm. a really fine tipped like cut on contact. Mm -hmm. If it's super sharp, and it's cut on contact, it's zipping through that skin so quick that it can't bunch. I've never it's thought just about opening that. the wound. It's just opening the wound channel. Yeah, that's and that's and that's it. Part of it plays into did you hit in between ribs where the skin can flex more? Did you punch through a rib where the skin can't flex as much? Again, mm -hmm. angle, all those things play into it. So I'm not saying that people are lying when they say, Oh, look at this big hole. Yeah, that's the hole it produced. Now let's think about why it produced that hole. Right. Is that hole because the broadhead did something magical or is that hole because of the circumstances and the condition that it was under with the skin and the movement and everything else? Mm -hmm. It just makes zero sense, you know, right. to say that I have an inch and an eighth cutting diameter broadhead. And because it's that broadhead, it's always going to open a three-inch hole or a two-inch hole. Right. That makes sense. It, it doesn't work that way, yeah. you know. So, 
think um, of it that way. The the variables are infinite. It can go uh, forever. There's and that's that's the hard part with testing all this stuff too. Is um, <laughs> even all the broadhead tests I've done. You know, guys. Some guys love them. Some guys hate them. I get negative reviews. I get good reviews. Guys, you know, anybody that, that thinks they can tell me how to do a more consistent broadhead <laughs> test or arrow test, please, by all means, yeah. I test on bone. But every cow, you know, I get cow femurs. And, I, like, the one day I did 29 broadheads in one day. So oh, 29, 29 yeah, different. I saw that on the internet. Yeah, yep. 29 different cow femurs. I get it. They're animals. Each one has a different bone density. Each one weighed a little bit more. Each, you know, I understand that. How do I take the variables out unless I buy a completely man-made product? Right. Well, then what's that going to show me? Because I'm trying to test on things that are going to be similar to what I'm shooting. But I can't just go out and pick out a bull <laughs> and say, okay, you know, I'm going to go shoot this bull. You know, I guess I could go to a, a slaughterhouse where they just kill the cow and say, hey, I want to buy that whole thing. And can I shoot 29 arrows through it? Yeah. But even then, am I hitting a rib every time? There's just too many variables. Right. It will never be 100% consistent. You know, and ballistics gel, guys go shoot ballistics gel. I've shot ballistics gel. I don't do it anymore. Why? Because what's it going to show me? It might show me somewhat of a wound channel, but it doesn't act like intestines. Mm -hmm. It doesn't act like lungs. It doesn't act like a heart. And ballistics gel is actually a resistive product. It's not a lubricant. When you shoot into an animal, you're shooting into blood. Think about every time you've grabbed the, the guts to pull them out. They're slick. Mm -hmm. They're hard to get a hold of. you got... You grab ballistics gel and your hand wants to stop. So then, you know, guys talk about, well, penetration, penetration, penetration. Use ballistics gel. Your arrow has a ton more resistance. The arrow shaft itself than the broadhead ever does. So every or every penetration test I've done in ballistics gel, almost every broadhead penetrated the exact same. Really? Within, I'm going to say probably within an inch was the only difference throughout the whole spectrum of all the broadheads. That's good to know. Well, why it's because the gel is actually uh slowing the arrow itself down because the surface area mm -hmm. so surface area plays into all that so mm -hmm. that's why i've kind of stopped doing that stuff but so i want to anyway. get back into uh into the, the, the arrow choosing process. part um i shoot an axis 340 been shooting them for nine years and every time i go away i come back to an axis mm -hmm. 340 and it just i've never it, it really interests me because you told me, oh, have you had a, any problems with the uh, hidden inserts breaking off? And I, in the nine years, I've never had that thing. But the footers that you made me, um, I'm going to be using those from now on. First of all, because I want that extra weight. And if people are having issues with it, just because I haven't doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the future. I want to take that little proactive approach to the footers. Um, so go. let's go over start. We'll get into the footers here in a second, but let's go over arrow selection. So, yeah, so the arrow selection, I come back to Axis a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of guys talk about they have uh, memory issues when we start talking about an arrow with a memory issue. Okay, you want an arrow that basically, in my terms, ha or what I'm going to use as terms, is has no memory. So if you flex it and bend it, it goes right back to where it was. Yeah. When it has a memory, the more you flex it, the more it flexes, the more it might get out of straightness. You'd say like aluminum arrow to make it really yeah, obvious. Yeah. Yeah, so you bend an aluminum arrow or flex it's it bent. too much, it's bent, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's FMJs. FMJs, really, really, really tough arrow, really tough. But because there's aluminum on the outside, they're more prone to bending. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful pulling them out of targets and that kind of stuff. So arrow selection, you know, there, there are so many good brands out there um, that I'm not going to say one arrow is better than any other. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it goes down to 
how deep a guy wants to get in the rabbit hole. And a lot of guys don't want to go this deep. They just want to, they're going to buy their bow and they shoot the arrow they always shot. Right. And that's fine. That's great. Um, but for those of us that geek out a little bit, you know, it's pick an arrow, right? paper tune your bow, and then grab some different arrows and see what the reaction is, you know? Um, but the axis arrows, I really like those. They're a great arrow. Um, what I found is, their straightness is, is I, I spin test all my arrows. Their straightness is really good. The weak point to an axis arrow is that hit insert, not itself, but that the hit insert relies on the carbon holding the ferrule beyond the threads. So when you think about a hit insert, it's back in there a ways. You're threading your right. broadhead in. The only thing that's holding that, that, that actually is metal to metal, is the threaded part that eighth inch probably or how you know well how much it would the be. threads are longer it might be a quarter uh, inch right quarter inch um and then it's all carbon that's okay. holding it well think about every other uh insert pretty much out there is there's metal mm -hmm. that the rest of the ferrule is in and then it's threads in behind there so that's where the footers come in and footers are nothing new i didn't develop these things right uh, footers have been around for a long time in the traditional community. And for anybody that doesn't know what a footer is, uh, if you you can think about it like a collar. So gold tip, they put their ballistic collars on, I think is what they call them. They're gold colored. Um, like the platinum pierces, I yeah, think you use them. Yeah, and yeah. it's just a collar you can slide over. So yeah. for axis arrows, um, to, to stop that weak spot, you kind of turn that one end into an FMJ. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is you find the right size uh, aluminum mm -hmm. arrow. You cut it down to whatever length you want. And then, you know, you got a debert and a couple other things. Then mm -hmm. you can put them on. So, um, and again, we can get deeper into those. But the whole point is on a deflection with an axis arrow, what ends up happening is if your ferrule is going to bend at all, mm -hmm. it will start bending at the threads and it will break out of the carbon. And so then that end of that carbon's now broken out, your ferrule's bent, and your arrow's junk because your hit insert, you know, even if you could cut it off right there, your hit insert's right at the surface. Hmm. Uh, so all we've done with the footer is, is toughen it up, and we can add some FOC. Yeah. Uh, Mine know, that you made me are two inches long. Two inches long, 25. and they weigh 20, like 24.1. And Perfect. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty OCD. Yeah. So... Uh, even though I cut all yours the exact same length, yeah. I put each one on a scale, and then I would actually grind it down a little <laughs> bit until I tried to keep it within, um, like, a tenth. Yeah. Right? So well, I appreciate that. You know, uh, for weight. Uh, and even if it was more than that, even if one weighed 24.5 and one weighed 24, you're never going to see a difference. But that's just my OCD, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't – because each broadhead, a lot of broadheads are, like, a grain – yeah, mm -hmm. the difference, you know, even, you know, some of the lower end ones, two or three greens difference. But well, and they don't weigh what your field points weigh. Yeah. Right. So I was weighing some Exodus the other day. I love Exodus broadheads, but they were like 20, uh, 22.3, but, <laughs> or 122.3, but, you know, the field points were 125. Right. On my bow, I'm shooting a 145 grain field point mm -hmm. uh, when I practice, but my iron wheels that I'm shooting are 150 grains huh. or 149. <laughs> so yeah, my OCD sometimes really doesn't matter. It's just uh, me being dumb, but right. you know, I, I, it's just how I am. So anyhow, you know, so once you've picked your arrow and go out, uh, go into spine real quick, just because we're going to assume that some folks are starting from, from a beginner, more beginner standpoint. So 
your spine basically there there's you can pick an arrow spine they're spined out at a specific length from the manufacturer so manufacturers will make like a 600 500 400 most manufacturers um the lower the number mm -hmm. the stiffer the spine and as you go up and draw length as you grow go up and draw weight mm -hmm. um, as you gr go up in your uh weight up front yeah spine becomes uh, more prevalent and you need to have a stiffer spined or, or a heavier spined arrow. I'll not say right. stiffer, but heavier spined arrow. Right. Uh, a really dramatic way to, to represent that would be um, a fishing pole. You just have a fishing pole yes. perfectly straight, dangle uh, one ounce weight at the end of that fishing pole, you're going to see it bend more. That's what your arrow is going to do, basically. The, it's going to have more of a paradox. Yeah. So, so. Uh, and the thing with arrows is as you add weight to the back, so we talk about wraps, we talk about yeah. lighted knocks, you actually stiffen that arrow. Um, and you take away some FOC. So there's you know, there's there's good and bad to that. Uh, so when you read a spine, um, it's a starting point. Mm -hmm. But as you cut the arrow down, you're stiffening the arrow as well. You're changing the flex point. You're doing all sorts of things. So that's where it does become kind of important to see, you know, just because I should shoot a 250 spine Right. Doesn't mean all 250s are going to work. Case in point, the Grizzly Stick 240 that is technically stiffer than my Axis 260, yet I could not get that arrow to spine out of my out of my bow and shoot consistent. I've talked to guys, and you can tell me because I've never shot a Grizzly Stick ever, but I've talked to a lot of guys that have spine consistency issues with some of their arrows. Have you had that issue? I wouldn't say that, and to be honest, I don't. I don't. Uh, Use like a RAM spine tester. Uh -huh. That's not something I use in my process. I'm getting one of those. And though. and so the reason I don't the reason I don't do that is because of the way I tune and what I found in the past. I've had arrows indexed before, yeah. so that's a shop. Um, you know, because again, my shop is relatively new. So for 18 years, I've just bought off the shelf from somebody else's from some other shop. Uh -huh. um, and. Uh, and I've had them index my arrows. Indexing your arrows is them finding the stiff side and putting it up for you, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and for those people that don't know, almost every knock will have a a dimple in it or mm -hmm. a ridge on it or something. And you can use that one of two ways. You can put it either way. I always use it so it's on the left side of what would be my cock vein. So the vein that's going to go up, um, the vein that's going to go up, uh, that little indicator on the knock is always on that left-hand side. Good to know. Um, and, and I do that because I do what's called knock tuning because what's happened is uh, I've gotten arrows indexed mm -hmm. and then I've actually knock tuned them or shot them through paper without fletches. Um, it's not bare shaft tuning, it's knock tuning. It's two different things. Right. And I've noticed that they still don't fly. They're still not producing that perfect bullet hole through paper. So then I have to start twisting knocks. So we can get into that a little bit more, but that's why I don't anymore. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot every arrow I have without yep. fletches on it. Same here. Through paper. Same here. And I'm going to twist knocks. Yep. You know, now indexing might be a good spot to start, but I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's what I do. Um, I, I know I'll start off with a, a tuned bow, first of all, starting off with a bow that I know is tuned. And then um, I'm going to start shooting my my new batch of arrows and you typically it's the same exact arrows i've been shooting so i don't have to make sure that my bows tuned you know that the bow parts okay 
I just stick with the 340s. I've been, like I said, I've been shooting those for many years. I uh, have them cut to 27 and three quarters, and then I have them. I do my own inserts because sometimes if you have other people do them, you get glue issues. You can't thread them. In, you can't thread the head in. That happens. Um, and then I just knock index from the beginning, and then from there, um, I just start building the arrow. Yeah. Basically. So, but you have a special process for actually cutting the arrows. I want to get yeah. into that. So I'm going to go back and answer your question on the real quick though on yeah. the grizzly sticks. Yeah. Because I didn't really answer that. <laughs> um, Victory started making those. Okay. And so if there was a consistency issue, I'm not going to say there was because I honestly don't know. Hmm. I would hope Victory makes a good arrow, and I would hope that they're they're fixing that. Where I had a problem with Victory arrows, or not the Victories, but the the grizzly sticks and the momentums in particular, when you have a tapered shaft and it has an outsert, mm -hmm. well, that outsert has to go over a thicker part at the end of the arrow. And so by the time it's fully to the back, it's not actually touching the arrow, if that makes sense. If you it can envision what I'm saying. You have and a gap so, between the inner wall and the insert. Yeah, because it has to go over that thicker part first. So it has to be built to go over that thicker part. That makes part. sense. What I found when I built some was that even with as careful as I was, so I would I would cut my arrows, square my arrows, put the insert on, spin them. Mm -hmm. Spin perfect. Okay. Pull the insert out. It's actually a half out. So um, uh, for people that don't know what a half out is, it has an insert part. So there's a piece that goes in the arrow, mm -hmm. and then it has an outsert part that covers the outside. And then I would go glue them on, and I would get inconsistencies in spinning again. And it wasn't that the arrow wasn't straight. It was that the components weren't sitting straight on the arrow for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I would notice little gaps. I didn't really like that. Could they you square get, that out? You can't square it out because, well, well you that's could. That's the you, diameter you're talking. You're, you could, but it was it was because, like, one side of that, that half out yeah. was touching, and the other side had a bigger gap. I see. The gap wasn't consistent. Centered. Okay. And believe me, these arrows were square. It's not like, yeah. you know, I again, being OCD. So... <laughs> You know, that's the problem I had with those other than, and I could have shot the 170s. They spined out of my bow fine, mm -hmm. but that put me up into a 660 grain arrow. Again, yeah. <laughs> all these factors, and guys, this all takes time and money. You know, this stuff is, we all know it's not cheap. So this really is for a guy who's, who's super OCD. Um, and you can definitely try and tune a bow to a specific arrow. I don't want to try a bunch of arrows. I just want to shoot axis. Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's see the reaction. I have a bow in my shop right now. It happens to be a friend of mine. Um, he's always shot uh, Hoyt turbos, mm -hmm. and he's always shot a four hundred grain or four hundred spine arrow. Really, always, always. Oh, he's got a twenty-eight inch draw. Um, he's huh. shooting a twenty-seven inch arrow. He's only shooting hundred grains up front. I can't get him in. I can't he, get him to buy off could on probably this. Probably get away with. It. Yeah, he's probably you know he's getting away with that. Well, he was. Oh, he was. <laughs> he bought an RX one turbo. Okay, so. He brought it to my house, and we were tuning it, and we were having consistency issues. Now, one thing about my shop, I will say, guys, for anybody that's interested in my shop, I don't stock a lot of stuff. I am not your standard archery shop. I don't want, at least right now, I don't want to be your standard archery shop. Um, there's great places, Bow Rack, G4, mm -hmm. you know, locally here in Oregon. There's all these great places to go, and they're great shops. I won't ever knock any shop. What I do is a much more in-depth tune and a lot deeper detail i do that because i don't have customers standing a bunch of customers i don't have 20 30 guys in there that all want something right 
it's by appointment only. Guys bring me their stuff. They send me their stuff. And I go through a real in-depth process, and I take my time. I'm not on a, I'm not on a, I got to get you out of here in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm on a, if this takes me five hours, it takes me five hours. Which for Dave's bow, my buddy Dave's bow, it took me five hours. But really? it was because I went, it wasn't just tuning his bow. I went through a whole build process on everything, arrows and all of it. Five hours start to finish. But what we found with his is we were shooting 340s. They wouldn't wouldn't tune, wouldn't tune. 340s or the 400? 400, sorry. Okay. Wouldn't tune, wouldn't tune, wouldn't tune. Yeah. So uh, he didn't have much time. I didn't have much time. He lives in Idaho. Mm-hmm. He was just down here uh, on a business trip. So he's like, you know what? I'll go home and play with it. And and so he went, and uh, we were like, we decided he should try some different arrows anyway. So he bought some 340s and still had a problem. Hmm. So he went and bought some 300s. <laughs> really? All of a sudden, he's shooting bullet holes. Huh. Really? He had to go from a 400 spine arrow to a 300 spine arrow. That bow has the same IBO rating as the last two turbos he's had. (laughs) Draw length's the same. Nothing's changed. Hmm. Maybe a more aggressive cam. I was going to say, the the cams are different. The cams are different. When I say nothing's changed, nothing's changed with weight, draw length, IBO speeds. Yeah. That surprises the the heck out of me because I'm getting away with a 27 and 3 quarter inch arrow at, at, uh, at 340 spine. And I'm shooting more weight up front than he is. Every bow's a little different. Form's a little different, too. Uh, I think I could have gotten a 340 to spine. Yeah. But he, he actually liked the weight Good. that he was getting and the speeds he was getting. Huh. Um, so, you know, I got him to increase his mass weight, finally. Good. <laughs> and uh, he's still getting the same speeds. But, uh, you know, I went through a whole build process on his. So let's talk about build process because yes. that's kind of where you're going. Yeah. So here's what I do. Once, in, once a guy's picked, in, picked his arrows, we know the length and all that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I spin every arrow first before it ever gets cut. No arrow gets cut in my shop until it's been spun. I look at what end wobbles, if any. Some arrows have no wobble at all. Some arrows wobble at what will be the broadhead end. Mm-hmm. Some arrows wobble at the knock end. Some arrows wobble at both. Mm-hmm. I mark what end wobbles. And I cut out the wobble first. I don't do that. So that's 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 something I need to start doing. So yeah. I look at what wobbles, mm-hmm. and then I take off. If it's on the knock end, mm-hmm. I try to take off only what I need. So I might only cut an inch and a half off, mm-hmm. and I'll go spin it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, still wobbling. I'll go cut another inch off. Spin it again. Okay, wobble's gone. Now I cut the rest from the insert end or the broadhead end. Um, I have had a couple arrows that I just there wasn't enough room for me to cut the wobble out of them. But if you ever hear guys or you hear guys talk about all the time, I just I got this flyer that this one arrow is a flyer. <laughs> you can get rid of a lot of that, not all of it. There's never a hundred percent, but you can get rid of a lot of that by really tuning your arrows, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You don't just tune a bow; you got to tune your arrows. Right. Think of it. Think of it like. Going and buying ammunition for your rifle off the shelf, mm-hmm. you know, or when you have a high-end bow, kind of more of a custom rifle, and doing hand loads for it. Mm-hmm. Which one's going to shoot better? Right. Right? Most guys are going to tell you hand loads are always going to shoot better. Well, think of tuning your arrows like doing hand loads for your gun. Mm. That's really how I equate that. 
That's that's well put. And uh, so you're cutting you're cutting off the knock end first. If I need to, yeah, only if I off. have to. Okay. Yep. So, and you you touched on it a second ago too, because I talked to a lot of guys. Well, you know these these arrows are crap because I can't get the whole batch to shoot, buddy. I get. 11 out of 12 to shoot, I'm having a hate. Like, I am super happy because, you know, with, with my process, if I get 10 to shoot without having to do t- t- tweaking on those other two, that's a really good day. I mean, I get 10 and I'll, I'll spend the extra time on the other two, and that's even with my whole process. Like, but if I get that wobble out, I think that's those extra two that you're that I'm having. I'm happy with 10 out of 12, and then I'll spend an hour or two on those extra two, and then eventually I'll get the get them to shoot but it takes a little bit extra work but doing that cutting on the front end that will save me i think time that's probably what i'm getting is that that time yeah and it very well could be i've built five dozen axis arrows in the last two weeks yeah and <laughs> i don't have one that wouldn't shoot really yeah. yeah so what that tells me is that your process is, is getting more efficiency more efficiency out of each arrow and it's catching more errors and getting rid of them before you get them out to the and that's the, the thing is, you know, uh, and it, it's it's trying to get rid of all the potential different variables. Yeah. there You'll never be able to do anything about if there's a manufacturing issue, the spine's not consistent. Right. You're not going to fix that out of it, but you're going to see that at some point. Yeah. So, and what I've noticed is I have less knock tuning to do when I build this way. I have a lot of knock tuning. Which, which tells me... That also what you're doing when you're spinning your knocks is getting that arrow to a straighter point, right? If you haven't, if you haven't uh, actually, you know, uh, man, all of a sudden my brain went blank. <laughs> if you haven't squared that end, yeah, yeah. So, so the process: build, uh, cut those arrows, get get all the wobble out of them if, if yeah. possible. From there, that's when I, you know, go into. Uh, squaring the arrows. So before I even insert them, uh, depending on what they are, and it doesn't even matter if they're axis that have the hit inserts, yeah. I square both ends. So both ends of the arrows get squared. I double check all the arrows again, spinning them one more time. You know, I'll usually take like a whole dozen, set them on the workbench, you know, um, where I can see that they're all the exact same length, again, uh-huh. being OCD, and I'll weigh them uh-huh. to see what the variance is. Uh, again, not necessary, but just what I like to do. Then from there, <laughs> I'll insert them all. Huh. And uh, that's when we start getting into knock tuning at that point. Okay. And for people that don't know what knock tuning is, I have a video on on YouTube. Do you have anything on YouTube for knock tuning? I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't put a lot of videos on. Okay. Uh, uh, because the, <laughs> the hard part for me, like you, is, you know, or like a lot of guys, even my archery business, I work a full-time job. Right. And I'm a dad. And I have two boys that play baseball, you know. Um, but the shop, kind of real quick going back to why the shop started. Yeah. Just yeah, in yeah. case anybody's really curious. <laughs> um, why would this guy do this? I really, m- my personality, like I said before, is I w- want to know how, why, you know, how do I make it better? So going into these shops, watching these guys, why are they doing that? What are they doing here? So I just started reading, watching and messing around. I bought a bow press like six years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I just started messing with stuff. And I would screw things up, and then I'd have to call guys or text guys or go down to a shop and watch them fix it. I'd watch videos, mm-hmm. and I started to do it. Well, pretty soon I was doing it for my buddies. you know. And then pretty soon my buddy's buddy wants his done. 
<laughs> and you know, finally, I just said, you know what? Why not start a shop? And the other point, the other thing is, I've always, to be honest, I've always wanted to own an archery shop. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a fifteen, almost sixteen-year-old son. All he does, all he cares about is archery. <laughs> when we're even when we're spring bear hunting, and I'm like, I'm gonna take a rifle. He's like, I don't want a damn rifle. <laughs> yeah, I, I want a, a bow. It's everything's bow. Everything's bow with that kid. Stud. Uh, you know, and so. <laughs> You know, is well, he there doesn't have money to get in trouble that way? <laughs> yeah. Well, is there <laughs> yeah. the potential for me to start a full archery shop and have him run it at some point or something? That's great. Why not? Family-owned business, you know. Well, and you have your own niche because you're basically being a specialist, is what you're doing. You're arrow arrow building and tuning specialist. And in if I start a full shop, when I say full shop, I have a full shop. I carry some inventory, mm-hmm. not a lot. I can order just about anything. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my prices are going to be competitive with every other archery shop out there. Uh, but when I say start a full shop, like right now it is in my shop in my house. Yeah. And it's a nice shop. You know, it's all carpeted and there's mounts up on the wall. And I have all the same equipment that every archery shop out there has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to start a full retail. Oh, cool. You know, if, if I do it. Um, and that will be years from now. And it'll depend on how this goes, how busy I get with this. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is a good friend of mine builds custom strings. He's a great custom string builder. Austin Kincaid. Austin Kincaid. Yeah, I thought you ran around, uh, ran around with him a little bit. Yeah. He's, so, he's a good guy. You know, and part of it was, uh, you know, uh, just, hey, Austin, I'm going to start this thing. I want to sell your strings, you know, and that's all I'm going to sell is your strings and guys that want your stuff. So, shoot. Um, Period. But anyway, uh, you know, I'll start a full retail business and we'll carry bows and we'll have everything if I'm going to go that route. Otherwise, I'll just keep doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh but anyway, that's kind of why I started doing it because I was doing it for all my buddies anyway. Yeah. And uh, again, my OCD made it different than being in a shop, and the shops don't have the time because they got other customers to take care of. Right. And so that level that I wanted to be at wasn't there. So that's kind of why I started doing it. That, so that totally makes sense. So uh, the videos, uh, just with the work and everything <laughs> else, I don't have time to put out a ton of videos. You, as you know, it takes time. Not only do you got to shoot the video, edit. then you've got to edit it, and then so on and so forth. So, uh, but well, the knock, the knock tuning. You have your video I've out. I've got the whole series for broadheads, minus the cutting the wobble out of both ends, which I yeah. may have to add on there and film it with you or something, because um, that's um, that's a that's a piece I need to put on there now that I that I learned. And about. you look at the pro shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of most of the guys I know. Uh, Tim Tim Gillingham, he's got videos out there. Uh-huh. I think Dudley has videos out there. Yep. All those guys have videos out there showing cutting from both ends, mm-hmm. right? And it's consistency for them. They can see a difference. When I shoot, I'm not that good of a shot, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see a difference, but at least I know mm-hmm. that my equipment You're is the best that it can. can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, same way. But knock tuning for guys that don't know is literally taking a bear shaft, so bear shaft, no fletches on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have your insert, your field point, everything else is on there. Right. You shoot it through paper once your bow is tuned. Bow needs to be tuned. That's a key. <laughs> right. um, and you have to have good form. If you don't have good form, yeah. yep. you can't knock tune. Yep. Uh, you can't bear shaft tune your bow. It's not possible. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys, if your form isn't, isn't on point, right. your bear shafts are always going to look like crap. <laughs> Through paper, for yeah. the most part. But right. what you do is you shoot it through paper. You look at the tear. If it isn't a perfect bullet hole, I do eighth, uh, eighth turns. I so do that too. I yeah. was getting made fun you of you just for that. Pick it, pick it, pick a direction. <laughs> My direction, 
you know, I always turn my knock a little right, my arrow a little left, so to speak, and I do an eighth of a turn, I shoot it again. Eighth of a turn, shoot it again. At some point, you will find where that knock wants to be, and you're going to find how it makes a perfect hole through paper. Mm -hmm. That arrow is now knock tuned. Again, it's just taking all those little inconsistencies out. But I think cutting wobbles out and squaring solves a lot of that. And essentially what it's supposed to show is that it, it, it goes into the tuning of the bow and where it likes to shoot. I'm not going to say that it shows the stiff side up. Maybe your bow wants the stiff side down. Maybe your bow wants the stiff side to the right. Or I, I don't know right. uh, because I haven't spine tested it afterwards to see after I've knocked tune what side is consistently up or left or right or down. Okay. Um, you know, maybe that's something you can do when you get your tester. Is is like, <laughs> yeah, well, we go. could test that theory. I'll knock tune every one of them, and then I'll spine, spine test, and then be like, oh yeah, I'm full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I ask you though? But it so works. I've cut arrows from both ends for I don't know a couple of years now, but I've always either cut them like if you buy an arrow that's like a five thousandths cheap arrow straightness, I just cut it even. So what's your reason for cutting shorter on the knock end? Or cutting as <laughs> Only, less as you can from the knock end. Well, funny thing about that. Is I have a friend of mine that's even more OCD than me. Oh, jeez. And he <laughs> cannot stand it when all of his logos are not in the same spot uh, in oh his quiver. God. I kid you not. And so... Um, <laughs> Can we drop that guy's name on this? <laughs> no. I would love to, and he knows exactly who he is. <laughs> I, uh, maybe you could just steal wool the emblems yeah. off. <laughs> well, that's what I told him. So I was building yeah. arrows for him, uh, and he didn't want me to cut from the knock end at all. Oh, and I'm like, dude, I could take some acetone, and I'll just I'll take the logos right off these things. <laughs> and he's like, well, doesn't acetone hurt your arrows? And I'm like, dude, acetone's what I clean them with instead of denatured alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's literally what I use. A little bit of acetone's not going to hurt. Soak it in acetone, yeah, you got a problem. But <laughs> anyhow, um, you know, part of it for me is is uh, not necessarily knowing if the logo at all plays any uh, any any role in Aeroflex or anything else sure. does it what does it add so i do try to keep the logos as consistent as possible yeah. or take them off i've done that before uh my x impacts mm-hmm. uh i actually just made black shafts because i just took all the logos off of them why i don't know i wanted to <laughs> yeah. try something different um so that's that's the answer okay. to the question does it really do anything i don't know yeah uh, but i just figure I only need to cut out what I have to on that end, and then the other end is the end we always normally cut anyway. Yeah, because I'm and hearing so. the OCD thing, and then I'm looking back at all your uh, yeah, your they're logos different logos all over the place, and I'm figure that drives you crazy. I'm <laughs> and, and it doesn't. I'm OCD about certain things. There's yeah. other things I can let go. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm OCD, like I said, building my footers. My footers have to be the same, have to be the same length, have to be the same weight, and very, very close to the same weight. It plays a role in consistency, um, right? But do I really care if my logos are in my quiver in the same spot? No, you can see that from my bow. It, it, That's a little too OCD for me. Yeah, me too. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I just want I didn't it to know shoot guys good. I just, want, I just want to shoot good. And that's, again, I, I care about that more than I care about sure. my OCD. So yeah, I was just curious since you mentioned that because I, I figure if you cut even, even from both ends on a cheap arrow, you're, you're improving something. And, you know, and absolutely, I don't think that's a bad idea. Make sure you. Ch- I would make sure you check wobble first, yeah. right? You know, it's like yeah. you don't. 
Well, yeah, I spin them, and then I, yeah. you know, I say this side wobbles more. I'll cut, you know, however, say you're cutting five inches. I'll cut three over here and two over here. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I just thought and that's maybe a great there was thing. A, a reason more than, you know, cutting a little from the knock-in that I didn't know. Nope. <laughs> so I was talking about arrow straightness with a, with a gentleman yesterday and stuff like that, and I'm like, yeah, you know, where I was talking about cutting off both ends and stuff, and um, I like, can get a lot of those imperfections out there because a lot of it's towards the end of the arrows, and mm -hmm. it's just the way that, you know, some of the, it's the way they're made. Um, but I was also starting to harp. I'm like, but that's important. I'm like, but for me, I'm a spine consistency guy. Where do you lie on that? What what does for me? Because if I don't have two arrows that have the same spine, basically, I'm I'm gonna have worse results than. Well, and I think that goes back to uh, shooting, knock tuning, and shooting through paper is gonna show you if you've got consistency issues. That might be why you have an arrow that won't shoot through paper well. Uh -huh. That also goes into why this is the next part of my process, not arrow building necessarily, but of bow tuning. That is why I bear shaft tune my bows. And I do it with one arrow to start. Mm -hmm. So let me give you my tuning process real quick. Yeah. I'll do a broad yeah, brush tuning process. Uh, basically, I put my bow in spec. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's such a thing as super tuning. There's fine tuning. But I believe the engineers that have degrees I don't have at these companies get the most performance out of a bow that they can. And they tell you within a certain realm where things should be. So when I get a bow, I put it in spec. Axle axle's got to be right. Brace height has got to be height, and it's got to make poundage. If it's under poundage, something needs to change. If it's way over, why is it way over? Um, I make sure my cams are timed, and then my arrows are always square and level. What square and level really mean? They run through the upper third of the burger hole. I don't ever make a run dead center to start, mm -hmm. and... They have to sit level, mm -hmm. and then they need to sit off the bow, square with the string. I use a measurement to start, but then I actually have a laser that I put on um, that I run the laser up and down the string to make sure the laser runs dead center through the string, and then I run it all the way out the arrow to make sure that it's in the center of the arrow the whole way. Hmm. That's my starting point. Shoot it through paper with a fletched arrow. What happens? From there, because form can change, bows shoot a little different. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as you draw back, things move, change. Um, there's videos out there where guys put bows in shooting machines and draw them back, and you can actually see they have a laser Short on there, test. and you can actually see it move and then come back. All sorts of things happen. but So it's a starting point. From there, I make minor adjustments. So if it's hitting right or left, and I have yokes, like on Hoyts mm -hmm. um, or Bowtex or some others, I yoke tune them. If it's on a bow like an Elite or whatever – I either move the rest a little bit mm -hmm. or I look at reshimming the cams. So um, because you don't have yokes to change uh, your cam lean, so you have to move the cams on, on those type of bows. Um, and once I get it shooting a bullet hole with a fletched arrow, I then take one unfletched arrow, I shoot it through paper, knock tune it. Then I go outside. That's just the first step in tuning, man. Then I go outside. <laughs> And I shoot at 20 yards, both fletched arrow and knocked arrow, and bear shaft arrow. I look mostly at point of impact, angle of impact, yep. mm -hmm. and if up, down, left, right, and I get those out. And once I have both of those shooting the exact same, that's when I knock tune my arrows. Okay, okay. so then I go knock tune the other arrows. Again, this is part of the whole process. From there, 
I go back outside and I shoot every bear shaft with the fletched arrow. Hmm. And they all have to group. If they don't group, if all of them group with this one, I start looking at why that one doesn't shoot. Maybe that one just needs to become a practice arrow or a grouse arrow or something right. else that I don't care about. Um, but that's kind of my process. Sometimes my bear shaft tuning mostly happens at 20 yards. Sometimes I'll go all the way back to 40. And, you know, if I can get bear shafts to hit the exact same spot, within reason, guys, I'm not that good of a shot, right? right. But if I can get them to group at 40 yards. That's killer. <laughs> what more can I do, right? <laughs> so that's kind of my, uh, my process. And so when you talk about spine, I think that weeds those out. Okay. That's, if you have a weak spine, um, you know, there's dynamic spine and things Static. like that that you have to, that, that guys talk about. Tuning to a dynamic spine. Uh, retuning the bow based off a different arrow. You can't take two different brand 300 spine arrows right. and expect your bow to shoot the same. It might, but it it won't necessarily. Right. There's You can't just have that expectation. I hate guys. I hate it when I'm... Sh Shooting with guys, or I see guys, and they come in, and they got four different brands, air, <laughs> brand of arrows in their quiver, <laughs> and bag. you know three different types of fletches, and it's just like, holy cow, lot, what are you mm -hmm. doing? Yeah. Like, and that's great. Again, you know, I, I try not to knock on what anybody does, but you, well, you're you not doing yourself any favors. Fill your rifle with a core lock, a Hornady SST, a Burger, and, <laughs> and, and put it all in one mag and hope for the best. Depends yeah. who you are. <laughs> yeah. Same guys that have the quiver with a with a gold tip and a victory and an axis. Yeah, but you, you know, know I, do that. I'm on the same page with you. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. I started there. My mm -hmm. first, I didn't know anything. I, I literally learned. Um, I had a 10 minute crash course from Kurt Mendenhall and, and settle in on on how to stand and draw. That was all I learned. The rest of it is, was pretty much 100% on my own, and yeah. that's why I probably a big reason why I have my YouTube channel is because I don't want anybody to have to go through that learning curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh. and, and for me, a lot of it was, again, going back to trying to take something from everybody. Yeah. Even the guy who's brand new, you can take something away from conversations with those people. Oh, I try to talk to a ton of people. I let people critique me all the time, and I might go, you know what? At, but I listen to them. And I try and go, okay, what can I take away from that conversation? Is there something? Do I need to check? Does this, does this make me better? Does this make me, you know, what is it? Yeah. And, and so that's where I really, really try and hone in on things. And again, I found what works for me. I won't ever say I have the best process in the world. This is the only process. This is what everybody should do. Yeah. It's what works for me. It's what works, what's worked for the guys that have come into my shop. You know, that keep coming back, um, that ask me questions. I had a guy come in the other day, um, and this isn't bragging. I don't want anybody to take this as bragging. Mm -hmm. I had a guy come in the other day. He was at a shop. They told him he was two weeks spined. He couldn't get it to shoot. He has an 80-pound bow. Okay. Um, What's his draw? A 29-inch draw. Okay. And I think he was shooting a 250 spine, and they told him he was too weak. Too much weight up front. Too much weight up front, too weak. How much do you have? I think he had 250 grains up front. 80-pound bow, 29-inch draw. Okay. So he comes to me. So first thing I do, I put on the drawboard. I'm like, I just kind of look at everything. I put on the drawboard. Okay, top's hitting a little ahead, more than I want. Because a lot of times, some bows, at least Hoyts, we'll talk Hoyts because that's what I was tuning, and that's what I, one of the bows I know really well. Was this a turbo cam bow? No. Okay. Standard, just RX-1. Okay. Uh, hitting, hitting farther ahead than I'd like, but not bad. 
So then I put it in my bow vise. First thing I do is I check arrow level. So I level the string. Uh -huh. When I'm putting it in, with, in the bow vise, I always level the string first, then I check arrow level. Running way downhill. Level the string. Yes, I have a level that I put on the string. So the string, bow sitting straight up and down. Okay. I know people can't see this, but um, straight up and down, I put the level on the string, and the string needs to be needs okay. to be level. Okay, I've got one of those. Yeah, I use that too. And then I put the arrow, knock the arrow, yeah. flip the rest up, check level because yeah. there's a level you put on that on I have that I put on the arrow. Yep. Running way downhill. Okay, that looks like a problem to me. <laughs> then I put my laser on it. Mm -hmm. Running way outside. Like, by the end of the arrow, my laser was probably a half inch off the end of the arrow. Jesus. Which, at the start, doesn't look like much. When you got a 28-inch arrow or a 30-inch arrow or whatever it is, a half inch at that distance isn't really that much. It doesn't, it doesn't take that much. And that's where, guys, when you don't have good form, that little bit of torque, that axis, and it changes it a ton. Huge amount. So, But anyway... So all I did, this is literally all I did. I leveled his arrow. <laughs> I squared his arrow. He shot it through paper. Left hair. Okay? So when I say left hairs, guys, for those that you don't that don't know, yeah. the field tip goes in at the right hand side, and then you see it tear, the fletching tear to the left. I put one twist in the left yoke, took yeah. one twist out of the right yoke, kept the cam timing the same shot through paper, bullet hole. He said he'd spent two hours at the other shop, and they couldn't get it to tune. Huh. And they kept telling him. How much of that was them wanting to sell him an arrow? And, again, I'm not going to say what shop it was yeah. I don't th because it's, it's the guys at that shop were great. Maybe they didn't have the time. Maybe it was two hours bounced back and forth between people. All I know is that's all I had to do. The guy looked at me, and he's like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? And it's just, well, you know, I mean. There's a lot of those stories floating out it's, there. Mm -hmm. it, 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 square level is a great starting point. And from there, minor tweaks. If you can't get a bow to shoot square and level, then there's a design flaw in the bow, I think. is you know, Mike, but... Well, that prime uh, brings me to my... That prime I shot last year, um, I was way to the left. I was shooting five different broadheads perfectly, but my, like, you could fit, like, seriously see it. Your, broad, your, your arrow's pointing way to the left, and I'm like, shit's shooting great, but it's definitely, something's going on with it. And uh, I never got that thing. Really? Centered. No. I have a prime coming in tomorrow. Guy has an appointment with me tomorrow morning. Really? Uh, he's had his prime for two years. He says he loves it, but he's never gotten a really great arrow flight. Oh, so man, I was shooting. I mean, if you would have looked at the bow, arrow cocked up and everything, I'm like, this thing's not tuned. It shot five different broadheads as far as you want to shoot them perfectly. Yeah. But, and so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I got what I want out of it. So well, what? The arrow's not pointed towards the target. <laughs> yeah, no, and, no. and everything I say, there's an exception to every rule, right? Yeah. Square and level is where I want to start. That's yeah. that's the str If you can get a bow to shoot great and consistent, mm -hmm. and it has to run, it has to run downhill, or it has to run out of center. Yeah. Then so be it. That's just where where it is. It's a piece of equipment. Not every piece of equipment is going to be the same. That makes sense. And even within, you take every Hoyt. Not every Hoyt's going to be the exact same. There's rules of thumb because they're very consistent in their manufacturing. But not every Hoyt's going to tune the exact same. You can't just say, well, you know, it should run a 16th high and it should run 13, 16 center shot. It yeah. should run this and this and this. Okay. Generally, yeah. But that's not going to be every bow. You can't just set it there, you know. And what I hate is when I walk into shops and I watch them eyeball everything. 
<laughs> so they're setting a bow up and they just eyeball it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that looks good. Ew. That doesn't work. So, um, but that's the tuning process there. And then from there, once we've knock tuned, right? So we've gone through the bow tuning process. Yep. Now we've knock tuned. We just get into fletching. Yeah. You know, I've tried a lot of different fletches. I love the arguments between a real hard helical, <laughs> a straight fletch, an offset, I'm slight a right. Very slight right offset. And that's what I ran for nine years. Okay. That's great. And I don't see any issue with that. So I did some extensive testing last year because I keep hearing if you use a real hard helical, mm -hmm. arrow spins faster, more air resistance. At longer distances, it's going to act like a parachute, and it's going to drop off more. More drag, basically. More drag. Yeah. So that's what I've heard. I went all the way back to 80 yards, and I took straight fletched. I took um, just an offset, and then I took like Arizona Easy, uh, the Arizona Easy fletches. Their minis yeah. have a real hard helical. Like six degrees. And I <laughs> took all three of those, and I shot them at 80 yards. There was zero difference in impact at 80 yards. Really? With everything else being the same. Same bow, same arrow, same fletches, just fletched differently. And I'm telling you, zero impact difference. So I run, just because it's super simple to fletch, uh -huh. the Arizona Easy Mini Fletching Jig and <laughs> have a hard helical. Too, huh? Yeah, that's what I run. I have that cheap boning $35 <laughs> Well, and I have bits and burgers at the shop, and I've yeah. got all sorts of stuff. I can fletch things however anybody wants, but um, I have not found that it acts that way. Now, let's step into high FOC. Yes. When you're talking high FOC, you really do need to look at the least amount of fletches possible um, because it will start acting as a parachute, plus you're robbing some FOC. So when you talk to the high FOC guys, yeah, a lot of them are going to run feathers. They're not going to run a plastic vein of any sort. Um, they're going to run a super light feather, super small feather. Only enough to steer the arrow. Why, yeah. why is that? Why does the FOC affect the arrow flight there? You think it would go better with a higher FOC? Well, it does fly better with a higher FOC. Uh -huh. That's why you use smaller veins in the back okay. or less veins. I see what you're saying. I, I had it mixed around. Yeah, so okay. you want less vein. The, again, those high FOC guys... Because they want that arrow pulled through the air, they don't need. They that want guidance. that mass weight. They only need enough to steer the back of that arrow. Yeah. Okay. So that's really all it is. Um, you know. So why it acts as a parachute, having a little more back there with higher FOCs than it does with others, I don't know I don't necessarily. Know huh. um, and again, it's not something I've experimented with a ton. The arrows I shot last year were all my uh, my X impacts. Mm -hmm that had the, what was it, like 18% FOC, 17% FOC. Um, and, again, zero impact difference. Um, I did only test those with blazer veins. Mm -hmm. I didn't try AAEs. This year, I actually, on my Axis arrows, I tried a couple um, with some of the smaller AAEs, mm -hmm. um, just trying to see if I could get away with less fletching on the back, maybe add a little FOC. Because with an Axis arrow, so... Guys that don't know about FOC, the more your arrow weighs per inch, so grains per inch, the harder it is to get more <laughs> FOC. So, like, X-Impacts become a great choice because you can get a, a 250 spine, and they weigh, like, 9.5 grains per inch. 
versus my Axis 260 spines that weigh like 11.1 or 11.6 or yeah, whatever it's like it a is. FNJ. So, and again, the more weight you add up front, the more you weaken the spine. So, you know, it, it's it. There's this whole calculation and formula that has to go into it that you've got to figure out. And for FOC, that's that's uh, front of center. That's front the of center. The, that's on. where Ashby talked about yep. all that. Yep. Ashby was really into the three to one cut ratio yeah. uh, on your on your broadheads. Ashby's really into high FOC. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Traditional guys, stick bow guys, they've ran high FOC for a long time. Mm-hmm. Compounds are a little different. Um, and so you get the manufacturer's whole debate. I watch a lot of stuff online. It's been a big debate because the manufacturers say anywhere from 10 to 15%. Levi Morgan came out and said 10 to 15%. The high FOC guys got all upset about it and got all hurt over that. Yeah. Um, and then guys were arguing, look, if the manufacturers say this, then that's all it should be. I just know from my testing, if I can be in that 15% range with a heavy arrow going a certain speed, mm-hmm. it's going to hammer through just about anything I, right. I, I I shoot it at. So My thing for getting a higher FOC is it slows me down so much because I use the 340 9.5 GPI, and if I'm getting a 15% FOC, I'm going to have to drop down to a 300 spine and then I'm even heavier mm-hmm. yep. and it's like because I've tried the three I've tried the higher FOC and I shot like 200 and very similar I think my arrows were cut to 28 inches that year I started getting underspined when I had a 75 grain brass insert and 150 grain head and I was underspined and I could drop that down to like 100 grain head 125 grain head I could really find that line mm-hmm. and so but you know, and I was still only like a 13 or 14% FOC. I'm like, holy crap, that's a lot of weight up front to get up there. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Guys, yeah. I hear guys all the time, they have a 125 grain head on the front of their axis area. I am uh, about 15%. No, you're not. No, I'm 10. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, but that's where I like guys to come to me and say, look, I would really like to find an arrow that weighs about this, that has this much FOC and goes this fast out of my bow. Yeah. Let me go find an arrow that works for that and try. I can't always do it. I'm not a magic worker, but I can. I, I yeah. go out there and I find all sorts of different arrows, and I look at you know that's how I found the X impacts. I was trying to find more FOC. I was trying to find, um, you know, just something that would work that would that would weigh what I wanted it to weigh, would go the speed I wanted it to go, and had the FOC I wanted it to have. Right. And that was the compromise I ha- I had to make. You know, um, and they're not traditionally a hunting arrow. They're more, the X impacts were really more as a target arrow. Um, they have the deep impacts that are supposed to be their, their hunting arrows, but they've become a, uh, they've become a hunting arrow, hmm. uh, at least for me. So, you know, that, but that's, uh, that's the hard part is guys don't understand it. And, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. Well, I got a follow up question for you on FOC. I'm, I've told you about the test I'm going to do in between. I have two arrows at 400 and like 40 something grains. I'm getting up to about 20% FOC on one arrow. I'm trying to get to 30, but that's just really hard <laughs> without with staying at 440-something grains. And uh, do you will you get a better penetration with the same momentum but with a higher FOC? Okay. <laughs> I, it's a, that's a hard question. <laughs> it is. It is. One side of me is going to say yes. I believe so because the arrow's pulling through. That's the other side theory. of me is going to say... I've watched probably 10 videos online of a guy who's who's back in New York, and he's a crazy, kooky, weird dude. <laughs> Drives me crazy watching his videos. But he's been doing a lot of that same testing. Really? 
and he says he hasn't seen any difference at all. Really? See, I'm when, expecting when the, like when you, the mass expecting... weight, when the mass weight, the speed is the exact same. That he's seen no penetration difference. I do have a, you know, I. Again, it's hard for me when I'm not doing the test. I don't know how consistent the medium is that he's shooting into. There was all sorts of arguments online. He's shooting into foam. Well, the foam in that spot might have been shot more than that spot. Exactly. And, oh, my gosh. The, 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 <laughs> the, the guys who argue this stuff, and it's like, well, let's just go test it yourself. <laughs> exactly. You know? It's like, man, I'm um, doing the best with what I got. Yeah. So I would tend to believe that you would get better penetration uh, running oh, good. running a running the higher FOC arrow. Okay. And I, I really will be interested to see the results you get out of that. And that's why I was picking your brain about penetration test material. I'm like, ah, ballistic gel. You're like, nah. And then now I'm like thinking the buckets of sand or something. Some have a barrier or I have a softer inner barrier. I don't know. I mean, I can even get my hands on dead cows. I got a friend that owns a ranch. He has a dead pile out there. And if I want to probably puke when I retrieve my arrows, I can go out there. Yeah. But... Uh, I don't and know. again, consistency on that is hard. Did you hit ribs? Did yeah. you not hit ribs? Exactly. Did you hit so, but the buckets would be good. Uh, you know, buckets with sand, milk jugs with sand. So you're not, you know, I mean, buckets. Spending unless you got a bunch of buckets laying around, that, I don't. you know. <laughs> uh, so milk jugs, you know, they're easy, easier to get. Yeah. Um, you could try a couple of different things, even new, new, uh, new alfalfa bales or straw bales. Something. Or something. Yeah, something and you know, again, no matter what. Uh, here's what I'll tell you: no matter what you do. You will get guys that complain about it. Oh yeah, because it's you know. So I've seen guys do plywood. I've seen guys do cement board. I've seen guys do whatever. Yeah, um, plywoods. You know, deer don't have plywood stapled to them. No, you know. <laughs> no, I now I do want to use plywood to do a deflection test. One of the things I want to test is deflection. Yeah, and I want to do it for two reasons. I want to test some different arrows using like the same broadhead. Uh huh. And see how well they hold up. How do my footers, my, the footer system I'm, I'm building, how does that hold up in comparison to a standard outsert, in comparison to a non-footered axis, in comparison to a lot of things? Again, that takes time and money. Mm -hmm. It's a test I want to do. And then I want to test broadheads. What broadhead, you know, does best on a deflection test? Hmm. Um, anybody that wants to do a real quick check at home, just go up to a piece of plywood or, or anything you have and... Just pick an angle and mm -hmm. then walk your broadhead up there and look. Does your tip hit before one of your blades? Mm. Because if your tip can start getting in, if it can start creating the penetration, your blade should follow. But as soon as the blades start hitting first, mm -hmm. you're asking for a deflection if you hit anything solid. That makes sense. Right? Um, so that's where... Again, I love Exodus broadheads. They're one of the toughest broadheads I've ever tested. For a a good price point broadhead, um, they're phenomenal. Like, they're just super tough, super sharp. Mm -hmm. Steep angle. They're not going to do as good, I'm just calling it right now, in <laughs> a deflection test as a longer broadhead is going to do where the tip can impact first. Like a Magnus or something. Magnus, let's go back to the Valkyrie. If, yes, again, yeah, the, yeah. It's, it looks like a bird beak, like a long bird beak. Yeah. Um, you know, so, again, hitting something hard. But I want to do those deflections tests, basically look at it and go, okay, at a 45-degree angle, a 70-degree angle, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, um, you know, it, it just wherever it is, at this point, these broadheads would go through, and then they started deflecting. 
And where's that deflection point of each broadhead? And basically tell people this angle. How am I going to do it? I'm going to set a piece of plywood up, and I'm going to set strings out at different angles, and I'm going to shoot from each one of those angles into that plywood and see which ones go through and which ones, you know, curve off to the side. Why plywood? I can't think of a better medium to to do it on. Yeah. It's readily available <laughs> and everything. Hey, yeah, it, it, guys, if you have any suggestions, Absolutely. drop them in the comment section. Leave a five-star review. But <laughs> <laughs> well, really what's going to happen plug. is you're just going to get uh, your first piece of hate mail when they're like, plywood's not good enough, man. <laughs> exactly. You don't know what you're talking about. I opened my mouth uh, to Royce, uh, was it yesterday? <laughs> yeah. You and I'm like, you know, I haven't received a piece of hate mail yet, and that so includes my YouTube channel. I'm trying and he's to get like, it. I'm going to change that. Yeah. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get one <laughs> off of this. Somebody's going to hate something I said. I guarantee. Oh, start man. a recruitment page and get people to send you hate mail now. A hate page? That's, I, yeah. that's fine. I, again, I can't say it enough that there's exceptions to every rule. Uh-huh. And what I'm saying is not telling anybody what they should do. This is what I like to do. Right. Uh, and can you take something positive out of it and something good out of it? I hope so. You know, uh, you really want to get in it. And I know we've been going for a while here, but yeah, that's you, fine. you really want to get into the next level. Let's go next level arrow building. Okay. Let's start talking arrow clocking. And if it's a term you haven't heard, okay. look it up. But arrow clocking is taking a bare shaft, shooting it. I would start at like, uh, let's say, two yards, so six feet. Put a mark on the top of your arrow, like where the cock vein would be. Okay. And shoot it into, a, into your target. See what direction that mark moved. If it didn't move, step back. Shoot it again. See what direction it moved. Here's what people are going to find if they actually do this. Their arrow is naturally going to spin one way or the other. There's a huge argument out there where guys say all right-handed shooters, that the string is twisted in the standard uh, and I can't even remember what direction it is off the top of my head. Austin, oh, okay, this. you're going a different direction. I thought you were. Okay, that the string is twisted mm-hmm. in whatever the standard direction is. Their arrow is going to spin left naturally. So there's actually a bow company out there, uh, Rogue Strings, that has started doing their arrow or their strings twisted opposite and served opposite of everybody else's because they say it induces a right twist. Why is that important? Well, when you shoot your arrow and it's fletched, mm-hmm. if your arrow naturally wants to spin left, but you fletched it right, you've just lost efficiency out of your arrow. Makes sense. Because yeah. your veins now have to stop the natural rotation and take over, which they do. But again, you've just lost energy. Yeah. So you want to get into next level arrow building. Once your bow's all tuned, you know, once you've knock tuned your arrows, mm-hmm. Don't already just go fletch them right or left. Go clock them. (laughs) And fletch them the direction they naturally want to go. What the pros that are doing it are going to tell you is you are going to create more consistent groups at longer distances. Is it going to help at 20 yards? Probably not. Hmm. Is it going to help your 60 or 80 yard groups? They're saying yes. Other guys are saying, well, when you do that, your arrow actually spins more, spins faster, and then we get back into more resistance and then the parachuting effect oh, and more geez. drop. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Again, this yeah. rabbit hole can go really deep. Have you, have you got into the clocking yet? I haven't. Um, it's really something that I'm just starting to look at and play with. Yeah. So I have a dozen brand-new Axis arrows at home that I have to knock tune. <laughs> now, my bow is bare shaft tuned. Um, because I already have a dozen axis arrows built that I bear shaft tune the bow to, and then I knock tune the arrows, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. 
all of my arrows right now are a hard right helical. But I'm going to clock the next group, and I want to see. Uh, one of the top pros, uh, I was reading his stuff, and what he said in clocking arrows is it doesn't matter whether you're right or left-handed. It doesn't matter what twist or string has. It matters the bow and the arrow, because he said he can take his exact same bow and shoot three different arrows, and they'll twist different ways. So what can play into it? Face pressure, type of release, length of D-loop, uh, knock pinch. Mm -hmm. There's a hundred different things that can play into what arrow, type of knock, what arrow, mm -hmm. what direction that arrow wants to spin. That just seems almost, I can't believe I'm saying this, almost too into the weeds because you're going to wear through D-loops eventually or you're going to wear through a string and then you're going to have to do that whole system over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could. You could. Um, or as soon as you throw an arrow wrap on though. there, what happens when you throw an arrow wrap well, on Well, that's why if, if I do wraps for people, yeah. before I actually knock tune uh -huh. their arrows, I wrap them. That's what I do. I wrap mine before I knock tune them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only thing that doesn't go on that arrow, like, so if it's going to be a lighted knock. So let's take, um, if you're going to, if I'm going to do lighted knocks, or if somebody wants to do lighted knocks, I'm going to shoot the lighted knocks to knock tune them. Smart. Yeah. Um, especially when you get into knocks like um, fire knocks. I use, I like fire knocks, okay? I had problems with consistency, especially with a, with a real heavy arrow and a fast bow um, when I was using. Uh, some of the different knock brands, and uh, I'm not going to even <laughs> say which ones, but um, the Fire Knocks. I got into Fire Knocks because they seem to be more consistent. I actually shoot the Fire Knock without the lighted knock part. Okay. Just I buy their buy their knocks themselves, and that's what I use. Um, but they're a little shorter. Again, everything plays into this. I can't use my standard X knock or G or whatever it is. I can't remember now off the top of my G knock. I think for uh, the axis, axis yeah. I, when I'm building arrows and building footers and footer build gets into distance, how far your arrow is in front of your rest. Um, and so that's what we talked about yours. How much length, how much, how long could I make yours? Yeah. How much space do you have? Um, but your knock plays into that too. My fire knocks are shorter than the G knocks. And so my arrow sits back a little bit more. So my original two footers I built, I didn't have fire knocks on there. They actually were an eighth inch too long and were sitting on my rest because I went from a G knock to a fire knock. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, so again, getting into the whole the whole weed of things, yeah, it, that's way you, into the weed. You, you yeah. really could. Further than I get. Um, you know, hopefully, just changing a G a D loop wouldn't do it, but yeah. you could changing strings. Now, if you're going from stock strings to like Austin strings, or if you're going from Austin strings to somebody else's strings. Um, I would hope that if you went from Austin strings to Austin strings again, yeah. it would change. But I don't know. Those yeah. are, those are answers I can't. Shout I can't out to give Austin. You. That's twice you've mentioned him in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you but you know, here. at the same time, if you're not wrapping your arrows, it's not that hard to refletch them. Right. So you could do that. You know, I'm going to play with it because I want to see. I yeah. uh, again, I want to test it. Can I see a noticeable difference in grouping between the dozen I have? that are already fully built versus the dozen I'm going to clock and then build with whatever natural direction the arrow wants to go, that's the helical I'm going to put on them. Mm. And do I have a long distance, you know, uh, I'd be really more consistent in arrow? 
I'd be really interested in that because mm-hmm. I like shooting long range. And if that would help my, you know, 150, 200 yard stuff, I would totally do that. Dude, 200 yards, you're crazy, man. Oh, I shoot, <laughs> I've shot 330. Really? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I've, I've reached out there. Yeah. And, and, and I say semi accurately shot 330. So have you, uh, do you use different peeps at that point? Because I can't, there's not um, enough adjustment not even, in my. I'm not even, well, I, I've tried the double peep thing and then I'd have to have it so close to my cam that it, I'd have to have it on my cam. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I actually started using my peep and the tip of my arrow. I didn't even use my housing anymore. Gotcha. Because the angle of my arrow. Um, and then I'd like aim at that top of the mountain over there with the tip of my arrow and then I could drop them in there. Nice. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we were doing pretty. I'd say, you know, I had a lot of um, groups, you know, if this is the ground, I'd have a lot of groups where I'd have three arrows in the ground right here. Yeah. Um, but then you'd have groups where the wind would kick up two, three miles an hour, and then you'd have an arrow five, six feet to the right. I mean, and uh, that's a whole story in itself. But Well, yeah. at that distance, wind, I mean, that's like shooting 1,000 yards with a gun, right? I mean, what the, wind is doing, <laughs> what the wind is doing 250 yards out there yeah. might not be what the wind is doing here. Yep. And at that point, you know, how much resistance yep. I had built special up. How well built. are your your uh, veins, uh, you know, steering your arrow? What yep. uh, there's again the consistency. That's why what I really there's never a hundred percent right answer for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything changes stuff. What I will say on the clocking real quick is, uh, there was one of the guys I was reading his stuff and what he said was that of his bow, um, his arrows wanted to spin left. Interesting. And so he just kept right fletching everything. But he tried all sorts of different fletches, and he actually had a distance. So I don't know if he was using a, uh, I don't know if he was using a, a, a high speed camera, but he said that the, and this isn't a shout out to Blazer Veins, but he did say <laughs> that the Blazers actually corrected his arrow faster. So I think he said it took him. It was like maybe it was I can't remember nine yards maybe, hmm. and at that point the Blazers had corrected the spin back to right versus almost all the rest of them were 11 or so yards. So what's funny about that is I started wondering when guys talk about, well, that arrow flew funny, porpoising, or you could see the veins moving. Is that the vein? Is that the point at which the vein is starting to correct Mm, your arrow? That's a good question. And I don't have the answer to that, but it kind of makes sense in my head. Like your arrow is wanting to spin one way and your veins finally take over and you can see that difference because I don't know for you guys, but me shooting at 20 yards, when I'm shooting at 20 yards, you know, sometimes you have one arrow. And go, oh, that looks like it did something funny, but every it still hit while. right. Every once in a it's while, it still hit perfect. Yeah, but it's like it just you catch the vein. It looks like there's a movement yeah. there. Well, I'm just wondering if that is the. That's funny you say that because yeah, not, yeah, totally. That happens yeah. to me every once, and then it won't do it, and then it'll do it again. It's kind of inconsistent. Yeah, and then uh, you know I. Number all mine. I'm yeah, sure you but do it's too. it's not an arrow issue where you can pick out that one arrow right. doing something funky every time. Right, right. right. Well, is that uh, is that possible? Is that possibly the clocking? Yeah, you know, and and that arrow correcting. So I don't know, but that's really getting in the weeds. I mean, you want to get Woo. real, real, yeah. real in depth. I don't know how to go any farther than that. Like literally, without building your own components and your own arrows and your own everything else, and (laughs) so you know, one more thing for me, and then whatever questions you guys have. But um, the one thing I don't like about my own footers uh, is that they don't come off and on. I would rather have a collar system, and I'm actually looking into custom having custom built my own footers. So I'll be honest with 
with everybody out there. And sometimes I, maybe full disclosure, I say too much. <laughs> um, you can buy from VPA's custom shop, you can buy basically a collar for an access arrow. And they make them for all the different sizes. What I didn't like about those, and not to knock on those guys, but they only weighed nine grains. Well, I, I want to add, and they weren't very long. I want my footer to be at least as long as my hit insert. So I would like it to go all the way to the back of where that hit insert is seated. Again, is there a weak point right back there where your arrow might break off? Sure. Your footers can only be so long anyway, just like a collar can, can only be so long. Mm -hmm. What I like about them coming off is for guys that shoot like a three-blade broadhead or a two-blade or even anything, um, they can take them off and they can grind the end of that arrow mm -hmm. and then they can screw their broadheads back on and they can get their broadheads like for a three-blade sitting exactly in the same orientation as their veins. Mm -hmm. Now, does that matter? No. I've, guys will tell you it does. None of my testing has ever shown that. Same here. I have been able to screw a broadhead on, and I don't care how it sits in comparison to the veins, and it shot the exact same. Now, I do like, like I shoot iron wheels. Yeah. I like my iron wheels to sit flat. Why do I want them to sit flat? Because I'd rather not have the blade straight down towards my finger just yeah. in, That's just so in case I'm stupid and my finger yeah. comes up or something else. I was having that conversation the other day because all mine are you know, flat or a little offset, but I did notice this year for the first time that the ones that wore straight up and down, they did shoot different than the ones that horizontal. I'm like, that's really funny because I'll just screw on a three blade and I'm OCD. I line them all up with my veins knowing I'm with you that it doesn't make a difference for me. Like, yeah. And if you go onto the website, manufacturer's websites, not one of them have I seen, they say line them up with the veins. Yep. Not one of them. Um, and that, that includes Muzzy. I mean, a lot of guys are like, oh, yeah, I got to line them up. No, you don't. Man, I shoot a four blade with a three vein. Yeah. yeah. I'm in the same boat. Th there goes your theory, you know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know how many times I got told you have to have four veins blade. for four yeah. blades? No, you freaking don't. Yeah. <clears throat> but guys two, like two it. Two blades with three fletches, too. Yeah. Guys do that. So. Yeah, that Iron Will guy shoots a big old two-fletching uh, rig. and really? he, Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's got two big old helical fletchings. That's yeah, well, so. Really interesting. Crazy. Brent Hahn from Valkyrie. Yeah. Uh, he's tried, he's tried, like, bigger, like, two vein systems uh -huh. um, and then putting like maybe two smaller veins on too. And he's tried all sorts of stuff. And, and, you know, uh, to give Brent some credit. I, I like the Valkyrie system a lot. It's a great system. Um, Brent, uh, Brent's kind of the one that got me into footers a little bit. And uh. we were talking about it and because his center pin system, what he told me, maybe he doesn't want me saying this, but <laughs> what he told me was um, he loved axis arrows, but the weak, point in the axis arrows and so he started building the footers and that got him thinking about his center pin system and that's kind of the basis for how he started developing his center pin system um, to try and make make it a little tougher and take out some of those variances so when you do get a hard angled shot and you hit something hard you haven't just ruined your arrow yeah you know because this stuff's expensive as we all know so do your uh, arrows start to broom out after you use them a bunch uh not since I put footers on them. Really? Because yeah. I get that a lot. I shoot a lot, man. So all yeah. mine start brooming out eventually. So with the footers, especially if the footers right at the end, yeah, it stops that. Really? Yeah. Well, that's pays for my arrows right there. So you know, um, but if I built, if I can get the collar system built that I want, um, it allows you to take them off and on, kind of like gold tip. So yeah, gold tip. Uh, 
but I want to build them a little heavier and I want to build them a little longer. And I'd actually like to build them out of two different types of material. So like use a titanium. So it's a little bit lighter for guys that don't want to add a ton of weight and then find a different material, uh, a stainless or I don't know, whatever. Um, but, uh, that weighs a little bit more okay. that you could still, it just screws off and on. You don't have to glue it on because what's I'm, what I'm telling you, like on mine, I ruined two arrows the other night because the <laughs> footers were too long. Oh. So I was experimenting with how it, trying to get them off, uh, doing everything I could think of. Eating them up and stuff. I tried everything, man. <laughs> Finally, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to soak these in acetone to see what it does. Plus, <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to waste two arrows and it sucks. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to see what does acetone do to an arrow. <laughs> I'm curious. So after about 20 minutes and three or four attempts with a pair of channel locks to try and get <laughs> the, uh, I don't know if it was the acetone that did it, but finally both arrows broke in about the same spot. Oh, good. <laughs> kind of from a twisting point. Okay, you know, 20 minutes in acetone and channel locks probably. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, That'll so it. keep the channel Just locks out of the toolbox <laughs> if you're working. Yeah, the around. channel locks and don't don't soak your arrows in acetone. So. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if we don't break a few eggs, right? There you go. The whole thing. So, <laughs> But anyway, that's, you know. Well, so. that's that's a pretty in-depth conversation about arrow building. I got, I know I learned some things that I'm going to have to apply myself. Yeah. And um, I, I'm a bigger fan of the footers as I was before just because of the, the brooming out at the end. Um, and, and I do want that extra weight. I'm shooting to the point where I like to shoot between 280 and 290. It's funny how similar the guys that really get in-depth mm -hmm. How similar all their setups are. I like to shoot between 280, 290, you know, all these little things. I'm like, there's so many similarities between me and you, but you're a little little bit more in-depth <laughs> and, uh, and and just on that next level. So so having you on there is going to help me get to that next level. I appreciate you yeah. um, taking your time out of your day. And, and I know you want to probably go shooting with your kids here. So um, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you get going. Well, I appreciate it. game changer, man. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, it's is any of this stuff – going to be the the you have to do this and this is the answer to everything no but can it help with consistency i honestly Absolutely. i wouldn't do it if i didn't believe it i really wouldn't i'm not trying to sell a product um you know guys don't come to me they don't come to me you know whatever yeah. again it's not my main source of income so i do it more for fun than anything but uh you know i i enjoy I enjoy watching guys see those results and go wow this is cool this is awesome mm -hmm. you know that that yeah. that smile that they get when they yeah. Holy cow, you know, it's like I've eliminated the flyers or my grouping's just a little bit better or, yep. or, you know, hey, I didn't have to adjust my sights or anything for broadheads anymore. You know, they shoot the same. And, yeah. and, and to be honest, what's the whole point of all this? At least for me, it really comes down to confidence in my equipment. When I'm in the field, when I'm about to take a shot at an animal, I want to know 100% that Bingo. my equipment is the best it can be that my equipment and that myself can make that shot. Yep. And if things happen from there, they happen. But I, I, the worst hunting experiences I've ever had is when I'm hunting with something because I ran out of time that I'm not 100% confident in. And then I don't make the right shots and, and stuff happens and whatever. I got to be 100% all, all in. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, I'm the and same that's way. why I do what I do is is that right. confidence level. And well, I get these guys all the time on, on YouTube. Uh, do I have to do that? I mean, like, how big of a difference will it make? I'm like, you might not even know the difference. But unless you shoot, you know, farther range. I'm like, yeah. and, you know, a lot of I get a lot of Pennsylvania guys shooting 30, 20, 30 yards. You might not even know. This might not even benefit you guys, yeah. man. But for these Western guys or high desert, 
you're going to notice a difference. I mean, I know I do, but um, so for guys that do want to get a hold of you, Chris, where would, how do they get a so, hold of you? So, uh, Facebook page, Elk River Archery. Okay. Um, and then uh, my number's on there. My address is on there. Message me. I don't have a website or anything. Again, I'm really low-key about this. Yeah. Um, and just starting to get the name out. It's all basically word of mouth. Um, do you have a phone number they can get a yeah, hold of you? Yeah, so 503-932-8003. Okay. Um, you could email me at 225-nontypical at gmail.com. Okay. Or, again, message me on Facebook. You could look me up, Chris Dunlap, or just look up Elk River Archery. i got both pages. Okay. I'm under Elk River Archery on Instagram as well. Um, and I, I, on Facebook, I have two different accounts. On Instagram, it's all just one account. Right. Um, you know, you can go on there. You can see some photos of some kills. Um, I had a pretty cool year this year. I only killed two animals, one with a rifle, one with a bow. But not many guys can say they've killed a wolf with their bow. Oh, wow. And I, didn't know I was on that. a moose hunt in Canada, and I ended up killing a wolf with my bow. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm pretty stinking proud of that. That would be cool. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> that would be adrenaline rush from hell. So there's pictures of my wolf up there on the, the Elk River page. I didn't and see that. I'm going to have to go on there and yeah. look at that, man. Yeah, it, was, it awesome. wasn't a big wolf, and I don't care, you know. <laughs> right. Um it was a fun experience. So, again, we could get uh, – dude, I could talk this stuff all day, <laughs> every day, and I don't think I'd ever get bored of it, you know. Well, um, I, I think we're definitely going to have you on the show again in the future. We could talk about different areas. That, you know, Broadhead seems to be another forte of yours. So uh, I've um, done a lot into of, that a little bit today. Yeah, I've done a lot of testing, and by no means am I an engineer, but I've learned a lot of things and, right. and learned how much uh, the different metals and hardness and different things play yeah. in. You know, you talk about kudos and, and – there's a lot of guys that will tell you they think I hate kudus because I have been kind of negative on kudus. Um, and guys are like, you just bash, you hate them. I don't hate kudu at all. I don't know the guys that own kudu, and I, I right. don't care. I just show my results, and that's the one thing I've tried to tell everybody when I do broadhead testing mm -hmm. is I'm not pushing one broadhead over another. I will tell you that this broadhead's been more consistent or this one has – Kudus, I, I was a broadhead. I had some flight issues, and then they'd fly great, and they wouldn't. The biggest thing for me was uh, I had problems with them bending and breaking. Were those the 125 or 150s? Uh, they were the 100, I think 100s and 125s. Oh, really? And uh, I'll be honest, they were the older ones, not the contours. Okay. I think I did finally test one contour. Um, when I shot it into bone, it went into the bone, and then it literally became a J. It I've didn't go that. out the other side. Um and, and I've talked to guys, and oh, it's a softer metal because it's easier to sharpen and it gets sharper and this and that. Again, I'm not an engineer. I, I'm just putting up my results. I don't right. hate any – well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say I don't hate any broadheads. <laughs> I have a real hard time with mechanicals because almost everyone I've tested is weak. And, again, not to eat up a ton more time we could talk Do about forever, fun. but um, I don't want to shoot a broadhead into an animal – that is going to bend or break. Why? Because you just lost cutting diameter. Right. And a prime example of that for me, I use my own hunting experiences. I shot a cow elk years ago. Hit her low. I have a problem hitting animals low for some reason. <laughs> just <laughs> dial for extra two yards yeah. next time. <laughs> Hit her low. And I watched her stand there for like three minutes. She ran about 40 yards and just stood there. Huh. And then she finally died. When we gutted her and when we pulled the heart out, I literally had two broadhead slices through her heart. But barely. It literally just sliced the bottom of her heart. Uh. Now, what's the point to that? That was back when I was shooting muzzies, weaker blades. Had those blades bent, 
would I have gotten those two slices or literally did I just cut the brisket or cut through the chest cavity and, yeah. and do nothing? When you lose cutting diameter, when you lose sharpness, you're losing your effectiveness inside that animal. I want a broadhead that if it gets stuck in that animal is going to keep as much cutting diameter as possible and is going to cut up as much crap in there as possible right. because I want that animal to expire as fast as possible. Nobody likes to see an animal suffer. Nobody likes to see an animal wounded. And so I feel like I owe it. I spend thousands of dollars on equipment. Why am I going to go cheap on the part that actually kills it? Yeah. It's not the arrow. It's the broadhead. The point of contact between you and the animal, mm -hmm. so basically. The broadhead does the killing. Yeah. It's, we need that hemorrhaging. We need that cutting. Right. That doesn't mean you got to go out and buy iron wheels like I do. I, I shoot iron wheels. Uh, you don't have to spend, you know, they're like 33 bucks a piece or yeah. a little bit over. You don't have to spend that. There are great pri price point broadheads. But when I bring up like Exodus, uh, my Mount Emily bull shot him. Again, I cut rib going in, uh, and I picked my arrow up, put it in my quiver. We found my bull, blah, blah, blah. We heard all that. I got home. I cleaned my arrow off. I looked at my broadhead. It looked perfect. I shaved my arm with it. Really? Put it back in my quiver, and I killed a blacktail buck uh, at 49 yards downhill. I went through a rib and out the offside shoulder and out the shoulder. Jesus. And my arrow was 20 yards beyond him. With the same broadhead, I did nothing to it. And that's with an iron wheel? That was with an Exodus. Exodus. Well, that's impressive. Their blades are uh, four thousandths thickness, which means they're really tough, and they get really sharp. Really? So, again, we could have whole <laughs> – we could talk for two hours on broadheads. So, if we ever want to do that, just let me know. Uh, but, I, I imagine that's um, in your future. <laughs> but, you know, it's blade thickness, blade sharpness, uh, hardness. Um, and hardness just isn't uh, – bending it's breaking there's all sorts of things there's yeah. rockwell hardness versus uh there's another one out that, that impact resistance and stuff so you mm -hmm. hear guys talk about uh s7 tool steel well tool steel is really impact resistance but super hard to get sharp and super hard to resharpen huh. iron wheels are made out of a2 steel and if i believe if i remember right they found a different hardening process so it even made the a2 a little harder really um so again way 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 and <laughs> get down a rabbit hole on that too but <laughs> anyhow it, everything's important yeah um and it all plays a role in our effectiveness so so why well, I, I appreciate the attention to detail and, and i say it all the time i appreciate work ethic and guys who work their craft and know what they're doing and then help share that knowledge for everybody else they're not you know they're not a reservoir they're just a river and, and just helping other people out so. well and i look forward to reading comments guys and if guys have a different method i want to hear it I, i'd Absolutely. love to hear every method guys use um, because maybe I can glean something out of that. Maybe I can change my process. Uh, again, I'm always looking for that next step. Yeah. And never will claim to know everything. Matter of fact, I feel like I just, you know, skim the surface. But <laughs> there is that point for me at some point. It's like, all right, is this just too much? Is yeah. this <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's wrap this thing up, right, guys. Cool. So, Chris, Royce, thanks yep. for coming back onto the show. Hey. And uh, until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Well, that is this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks, Chris and Royce, for coming on to the show. Like I said, guys, we went deep into the weeds. 
We talked about a lot of really cool things, and Chris is a beast when it comes to building an arrow. Be sure to give him a shout-out on Instagram. Go follow him on there at elk underscore river underscore archery. You can ask him questions. You can also email me, like I said earlier. Um, but I'm always down to uh, help people out, answer questions, and even on YouTube. If you search Garrett Weaver, two R's, two T's, uh, Garrett Weaver on YouTube, I'll pull right up. Um, and you can subscribe and message me on there as well. But uh, I want to say thanks to Hunter's Hall for uh, partnering up with the podcast. That's the uh, subscription company that I've talked about throughout the episodes who um, who basically has come out with species-specific boxes. Um, I think they even have a special for Father's Day. Um, but uh, if you use O-P-T-E-N, O-P-10, uh, upon checkout, you can save yourself 10% on there. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting my box here soon. I'm going to actually upload a video of me opening it and showing you guys what's inside of these boxes uh, that uh, Hunter's Hall delivers you guys monthly. So um, very thankful for them. And I look forward to seeing what they come out with here in the future. And then also thank you for everybody who comes out with those five-star reviews with a comment. I will be giving away some really cool things here uh, very shortly. So that's all I got for today, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And I will see you on the next one. Bye.